They reckon that more days are lost a year because of anxiety than any other sickness. That more people are off work annually because of the effects of anxiety. I'm going to tell you a scenario and see what the first thought you have of is. It's Christmas time, there's a family driving in a car, the kids are singing to the radio and there's jingle bells playing and they're joining in because they know the words and they're getting excited as they sing along in jingle bells. The festive spirit moves forward and mum joins in, and which would be a miracle in our house, dad even joins in, <laughs> and they're driving along. What's the first thought that comes into your head? What's going to happen next? It's going to have a crash. They're going to have a crash. Every time we imagine amazing scenarios, <laughs> often the very first thing we think is disaster, accident, car crash. Because we're more used to seeing bad news than we are good news. I mean, how we watch CSI, we watch... American TV series is disaster, disaster, disaster. If it bleeds, it leads on the news. It's the worst possible scenarios that are happening in the world. And that's what fills our head. So often we find that when joy presents itself and life presents itself, immediately we have a feeling of foreboding yeah. that this joy, this moment, this, this amazing scenario is going to be robbed from us and stolen from us and it's all going to dissipate and go. They reckon that around about 85%, according to a book I read by Brandy Brown, who researched into foreboding, 85% of the people struggle with um, crippling, or not necessarily crippling, but foreboding fear when there's joy. <laughs> that when they're presented with an amazing moment, the first thing they think is, this is going to be stolen from me through something going wrong. And I want to read you some verses because God speaks right into these things and has a wonderful, wonderful solution. Yeah. And in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul says in chapter 3 verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as, one, since as members of one body you are called to peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And that's really what's on offer this morning, is for every person who is a believer, who's in Christ and knows Christ, is the invitation to have peace rule in their hearts. That's what's on offer here. The Old Testament translates peace using this word shalom, which is, is a really powerful and really loaded word with, with, with loads of significance. And shalom means wholeheartedness. It means completeness. It means to live life totally free from agitation. It means to live with a sense of well-being. Yeah. It means fullness. It means completeness. It means soundness. That's what peace means. So these verses are saying Christ's rule promises a life with the absence of agitation. And such an amazing thing in the world we live in, and the hustle and bustle, and all the agitation that we see all around us. And actually, there is a way of life that is sound, that is whole, that is complete, yeah. that is full of well-being, and it is 
the absence of agitation. And then Paul says this peace that's ruling, this shalom, this wholeness, then gets worked out in community because as members of one body you are called to, to peace. And these verses we're going to unpack are essentially saying as peace rules in the individual heart, it then begins to rule and flow out into your family and into your local church and into your community and into your workplace. That this peace is more powerful than anxiety. They reckon that uh, anxiety is the most contagious of all emotions. Have you ever noticed that you're at work and someone walks in who's anxious? Their anxiety can set the whole atmosphere for absolutely everyone. That one person freaking out can set the whole atmosphere for the whole organisation, can set the whole atmosphere for a whole family. And so this piece isn't just about my peace and my lack of agitation. This is peace that gets outworked into a body, into a family. I would say that all spiritual maturity gets worked out corporately, gets worked out relationally. That all spiritual maturity, all fruit, like peace, joy, hope, thankfulness, faithfulness, all these qualities, these fruit, always get manifest in a corporate body. In fact, the idea of it's all well with my soul and it's just me and God is an unbiblical idea. It always has to work out relationally, community. Mm. It always has to work out an overflow. I think the first stage of lopping the head off the Goliath of anxiety is to decide that I can't coexist with it anymore, that it has to go. Because I sometimes think we settle with um, agitation, peacelessness, restlessness, because we just think that's the way it has to be, and we think that that's normal. But I don't think anywhere in the Bible it says that anxiety and peace can coexist. They, they don't want to ever take up the same ground. It's the same way that perfect love casts out all fear. That fear casts out love, and love casts out fear. They can't coexist together. It's either one or it's the other. It's either fear ruling, anxiety ruling, or it's peace ruling. And so, we want to hate anxiety in our bones. <laughs> on a visceral level. We want to hate it because of how destructive it is. They did some studies recently on, um, it's not a dig at smoking, but it was particularly about smoking, and they said to people this, you know in your head that smoking is killing you, and you know that it's not doing you any favours, and you know it's costing you a lot, and yet you still do it. So you know cognitively in your brain that smoking is no good, but it's not affecting your behaviour, it's not affecting your decisions. So they said to people, when you smoke, take a step back and just think about what's happening while you're smoking. So they said, okay, they, 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 they lit the cigarette and they were beginning to smoke, and they, they began to note what was actually happening. They noted things like, actually my breath is smelling. Actually I've got... 
I don't feel very fit. Actually, my, all my clothes begin to smell. They begin to list all the things that were actually happening to them when they were smoking, so they could feel it in their bones on a visceral level, so it could move in their brain from just the idea that I don't want to, to the idea I hate this thing. And they found when people got enough picture language that they actually hated that thing, they were six times more likely to quit than a person who just knew it was a bad thing. So I think our first battle with anxiety is to actually hate it enough so that we're looking for the peace of Christ to rule. Otherwise, I think we kind of coexist with it. Because anxiety is the root of quite a lot of other things. Anxiety leads to foggy, chaotic thinking. How many of you can think straight when you're worried and anxious and troubled? Mm. It's really hard to think clearly. You just begin to freak out and panic. Your brain gets all foggy. It feels toxic and chaotic. You begin to think incorrect thoughts about the future. Someone says one anxious thing and you've imagined the the absolute worst. Because anxiety just takes you to a place in your imagination. You become confused. They reckon your brain becomes dysfunctional. Anxiety in the brain actually diminishes the brain's ability to think clearly, correctly and strategically. It, It cuts in on all those things like future planning. It produces restlessness and tightness and tension. Anxiety leads people to retreat from community and retreat from people and to withdraw and isolate themselves to try and find a solution. Anxiety causes people to digress away from and withdraw from and not be fully present. That's what anxiety does. Anxiety is is the root then, again mentioning Brenny Brown's research, of all kinds of numbing. Numbing is the things we use so life doesn't feel so bad. It's like the cream they put on kids for an injection. Or the cream you can put on a finger to get get a splinter out. It costs about £12. Very expensive cream to get a splinter out. The idea is you numb the area and you numb the pain. Anxiety is is at the root of being a workaholic... Got to keep working, got to keep working, got to keep working, because if I don't work enough, will I have enough money? Maybe there won't be enough work in the future. It's at the, it's at the root of a whole host of other numbing things. Overeating. It's at the root of shopaholic. Retail therapy. Nothing wrong with shopping. But often it's, it's to numb the pain of anxiety. Anxiety is at the root, I would say, a a huge aspect of the whole um, thing of internet pornography and people's use of that to numb pain and isolation and loneliness and not feeling that they're enough or loved or worthy of love and connection. It's at the root of alcoholism and other forms of abuse. So if you can sever anxiety, you can sever... You can sever a whole host of dysfunction in society. Amen. So... We've got to feel it in our bones. Anxiety is not a little inevitable friend of life. It's not that anxiety is something that can be accommodated. Well, a little anxiety is good for you because it keeps you on your toes. Actually, anxiety is toxic, dangerous. It produces chaotic, incorrect, confusion, dysfunctional, um, diminished clarity. 
It's a dangerous, dangerous thing. When anxiety gets into a a, a person, a family, an organisation, a church, it diminishes creativity, it it lowers the the willingness to take risk, the ideas go down, and anxiety takes over. So it's a huge Goliath to go after. And Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule. Now, some of the things I'm going to talk about are, are... are going to be quite painful, but believe me, they are keys for peace ruling. One of them is this, fruit testifies to who is in government and who is ruling in the heart. So we can look at our hearts and say, if actually I'm agitated, I don't feel complete, there isn't well-being, and there's all this other stuff of restlessness, tightness, and tension, and, and agitation, and we know that we're giving into numbing in different ways and different things, we can say, actually, who is ruling in my heart? That the fruit is testifying to the effectiveness of the government that's going on in your life. And, and that's not to condemn any of us, because I think God loves process, and he loves steady steps, and he loves to journey with us, and we are on a journey, like Abraham, of becoming fully persuaded and fully convinced. Okay? Because we were yes. chatting the other day about Abraham, and in Hebrews 11, it says he's a man full of faith. And actually, if you read Abraham in the story, yeah, actually, he, he was lying, doubting, and Sarah laughed when she heard the promise. If you know anything about Abraham, and there, the promise of a son, and he was really old, and her body was as good as dead. It says he was fully persuaded and fully convinced, but he went on a journey of becoming fully persuaded and fully convinced. And that's how Hebrews saw him, and that's how God saw him in the process. The way God looks at us, he says, I know this one is becoming fully convinced and fully persuaded. But I think in the journey of becoming fully convinced and fully persuaded, it's good to get a proper diagnosis, because it's... It's a terrible thing to go to the doctor and for them to diagnose something, but there's good news when they say, but there's a solution. Okay? It's a good news when the diagnosis is, listen, if anxiety and agitation is ruling and there's fruit, it's a rulership issue. So when Christ is invited to rule, his peace becomes our peace. So God is never ever frustrated or perplexed or confused or anxious. He doesn't actually know what those emotions are. It helps, as we were hearing in the worship, when you know the end from the beginning and you live at the end. And he's not just taking us on a journey, he is at the end. It helps if you've got a perspective of timelessness and you see everything working together for good and you see the whole picture. It's then impossible to become anxious because he sees the moment and he also sees its redemption. He can weep with the story of Lazarus and at the same time know he's going to be at the tomb saying, come out Lazarus, take off the grave clothes. So he's able to engage in real um, compassion and empathy and at the same time have a wonderful solution that means he's never anxious or troubled or confused or perplexed or frustrated. And he invites us into that peace. So Philippians 4 says, let the peace of God guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's not just a, a feeling of a- absence of agitation, it is the very peace that God himself enjoys. That's what he invites us into. Amen. And Paul says, let the peace. 
invite the peace. I love the fact that God's government is freedom. Let the peace. Another translator says, let Christ be the umpire. He says, let. In other words, look, we can be family, we can be, we can be uh, 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 in a relationship. Will you let me? It's an invitation. Will you let me exercise authority? Will you let me exercise government? Will you give me permission? Will you invite me in to rule? And so, on a whole host of stuff, it might be that we're really at peace about one aspect of our life, but we're in real troubled anxiety about another. And so it's not that the, the, the whole thing's a mess, it just might be that I'm really doing well in family, and I'm really doing well in finance, and I'm really doing well in that area, but I'm really, really anxious about that. And so the invitation is from God, is will you invite me in to be the ruler and the government in that too? Sometimes we, we, I don't know if you've ever said this, or you've heard someone say it, or maybe you've said it, and I'm sure I've said it, when you say, it's not working! I'm anxious and I'm worried and I'm confused and my brain is chaotic and I don't have a diminished ability to think strategically. Have you ever said that? Mm-hmm. It's not working. Well, another question is, have you let him exercise authority? Amen. Have you actually let him in Amen. on that? Amen. Sometimes we're saying, it's not working, it's not working, I'm freaking out. Well, let him in to be the ruler, to be the government. Because to fully engage with Christ means that moment by moment, on situation by situation by situation, we're yielding, we're surrendering, we're trusting, moment by moment, situation by situation, circumstance by circumstance. That's why I think there isn't a prayer called, you're never going to be an- have the temptation to be anxious again. I don't think anybody could ever pray for you and that you'll never ever have another temptation to be anxious. I don't think that that's possible to wander through the life, this life and just be so shielded from the temptation of anxiety. But I think there are truths in this where you can actually be resilient to anxiety, where anxiety might come, but because of a discipline of moment by moment surrendering and trusting and yielding, you're equipped with the tools that keeps anxiety on the outside so it doesn't come on the inside and become a ruler and a dictator in that area. So it's a moment by moment thing of cooperating with his peace, of saying... You are a friend, but you're also a king. Yes. So umpire, apparently, is to be an umpire, which means we're not equal. So when the umpire in cricket or baseball calls things and settles things and, and says that it was a wicket or that person wasn't safe in base, they're not playing for any team. They're not participating, actually, in that game. They're not peers with the players. They are the one who settles with finality every decision that happens on the field of play. That is what it means to let Christ rule. It's the invitation to say, you are going to be the umpire over my life, over everything. You're going to settle with finality every issue, every concern, every question, every controversy, everything that touches my life. I'm going to invite you in to be the umpire, to settle it, to let your wisdom dictate in every area. 
going to invite you to practically lead me. And I think that's where life is, has all these different elements, these different things, and it's over each of them we're walking with him and developing trust with him and relationship with him so that each area we can begin to do that. Sometimes it means learning for us to learn how to breathe and learn how to pause. So you're at work and someone says, you won't guess what I heard today. I was at the photocopier. And I heard from I heard Derek from account saying they're making cutbacks. Cutbacks. <laughs> so so we're closing. Yeah, we're closing. Oh yeah, I, I think that could be. what I heard him, and I looked at Derek's face. He looked really serious. I mean, I know Derek. We know Derek, don't we? Derek doesn't get Derek, Derek, Derek doesn't get nervous for nothing. No, Derek doesn't. He's normally pretty stable. He looked worried. And then you begin to freak out. I've got to get a new job, uh, and then we're going to lose. We're going to lose the house. We're going to lose everything. Everything's going to go. And before you know it, you're freaking out. What about a different scenario? You're at, you see a guy who says, I heard Derek talk from accounts, said something. And you pause for what might feel an uncomfortable minute. Because you're, you're now learning how to invite the umpire in. So now there's a controversy, there's a concern, there's a worry that's just come in. How am I going to react? You pause and you ask a clarifying question. So you just overheard it. Yeah, I just overheard it. So there hasn't been anything official yet from management. No, not yet. So it wasn't someone from the direct, one of the directors, one of the bosses that told No, it's just overheard it. So maybe it's worth you going back to Derek and asking a clarifying question. Where did you hear it from, Derek? And then you find out Derek heard it, overheard someone else, and there was no substance to it at all. It was just a misunderstanding or a rumour, or maybe it was something, but you haven't reacted. Sometimes it's buying enough time in your head to pause, to invite the umpire in, to invite the ruler in, to say... There's something coming to my world, it's going to need your wisdom, it's going to need your clarity, it's going to need your thoughts, because you're ruling. Mm. Because you're ruling, and you said, do not be anxious about anything, in everything, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving. Bring your requests to God, and then it is the peace of God that transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And Paul in that Philippians verse is using language of the Holy Spirit being like a sentry that walks around the walls of a city. What is, that's what it means to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So the Holy Spirit walks around the wall, and then if he sees anything that could be anxious or concerning you, he goes out to meet it and brings a report back to you. That's what it means to guard your heart and your mind. And so part of following Jesus is we just don't have the permission to just go off on anxiety and fear whenever we want. Because we're saying, you rule. You become the umpire. I'm going to grow in this. And I think we need to say, actually, a lot of these things is process, steady steps. It's it's what Corinthians talks about. We, we, We take arguments captive. We make them obedient to Christ. We demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments. 
with anxiety comes with an argument. And it comes with picture language, like we saw with the car and the crash. It paints pictures in our heads. And those things need to be taken captive, and they need to be demolished, and they need to be undermined. And sometimes that takes time. And sometimes that's a process where we're learning to trust him and lean into him and let him love us. It takes time to realise he is concerned about us, and he knows us personally, that he is our father and he is with us, and everything he has is ours. And it is a journey of becoming fully persuaded and fully convinced. And so we have to understand these things are an argument because we're bombarded with anxiety everywhere, from TV, from media, from films. And to imagine peace, and to imagine shalom, and to imagine tranquility, and fullness, and completeness, we can't even imagine that. Because our experience of it has been so small, or sporadic maybe, and and we have it every now and then. But God is saying, I can rule in such a way that you can learn his peace. Mm. It must have been the peace that Paul enjoyed in prison with Silas when they were in jail and singing hymns. It it must have been the peace that Paul enjoyed when he was in a prison writing Ephesians in the one moment of the day when the light had come through the bars. It must have been the peace that Paul understood when he could say, I don't really mind who's preaching the gospel as long as it's going forward. It must have been the peace he enjoyed when he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. That kind of peace, that kind of peace where he says, you know, to live is gain, it's going to be fruitful, it's going to be good for you, but actually, if I die, it's gain. That's that liberation from imprisonment to lesser gods and lesser saviours is what this wonderful peace brings us into. But it comes through the 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 door of surrender and yielding and trusting. And it comes through the moment where I'm taking that thing captive. Whenever you experience, when you come to grab anxiety and make it obedient to Christ, it screams and says, you need me. And that you're vulnerable without me. Because you won't be able to strategize and plan and work it out without co-laboring with me anxiety. And you can say, no, 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 I've got visceral about this, I felt it in my bones, you are no friend of mine, you don't help me whatsoever, you diminish my ability, you make me tight and tense, I retreat when you come, I withdraw when you come, and I don't present the gifts that I have to others when you come, I withdraw into isolation, you are no friend of mine, I'm not allowing you to have influence in this area. And Paul finishes this sentence by saying, and be thankful. So, Brenny Brown, these books I was talking about, Wholehearted Living, she, re- she interviewed lots and lots of people who were resilient to fear and foreboding and anxiety and asked them, what is your key when anxiety comes? What do you do? Because you, you are wholehearted and it's not coming in your heart and it's not ruling you like other people. And they said, we value gratitude, we practice thanksgiving, we practice appreciation. That the greatest weapon against anxiety and the greatest way to come into a, um, under the, the canopy and the rulership and the umpiring of peace is through thanksgiving, mm-hmm. it's through gratitude. Mm-hmm. Because anxiety cannot stand in the face of a grateful heart. It can't stand in a place where the heart is deciding, I'm going to be grateful for this moment. And so it can come 
in moments like uh, there's a, a baby and you're just enjoying the newborn baby and anxious thoughts come in your head about that baby's future and you say, no, I'm going to be thankful, I'm going to be grateful, I'm going to celebrate this lovely little life that God has given us, I'm going to rejoice in it, I'm going to lean into joy. Because anxiety, one of the things it does is it steals our ability to lean into joy. Because as soon as joy comes, there's another competing anxious image that says, this won't last, you'll muck it up, someone else will muck it up, or circumstances beyond your control will still kill and destroy it. Whereas gratitude helps us lean into the moment. Lean into moment by moment appreciation, joy. It's... Quite a profound thing to realise that we only have the moment we're in. This is huge for me. I'm a, uh, every test I will do, I'm a futuristic prophetic planner. My brain enjoys the future. I can live in the future very, very easily. But actually, the only moment we really have to steward is this moment. This, this nano moment of our life. This is the only moment we're responsible for. Mm. This moment now, where we're, we're hearing something, where later on we'll be drinking a tea, but right now, this is the only moment I'm responsible for. It's the only moment I can steward. It's disciplining the brain not to race ahead into anxious imagination. It's, it's embracing this moment. So if in that scenario, the car journey and the jingle bells, and they're all singing, it would be, I'm enjoying this moment. I'm enjoying the moment in the car. I'm enjoying the moment where everybody is carefree, where everybody's being a bit silly and a bit funny. I'm embracing this moment. It's moment by moment gratitude. As soon as anxiety comes and presents itself, it's like, no, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna press into joy, right? I'm gonna look for what is in this moment. I'm gonna be grateful for. And Paul talks in these verses that a lot of anxiety is is interrelationships and it is anxiety caused by the friction between people and he's saying let this peace rule and he talks about as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful and I'm not saying it's not wrong it's not wrong to confront and it's not wrong to um, deal with relational things but there's something as well about honour and thankfulness and how that how thankfulness for one another thankfulness for your husband thankfulness for your wife thankfulness for your kids can actually break Anxieties that can come in relationships where we begin to what can I what can I look at that, that's, that's amazing about them? What can I be thankful for? What can I celebrate? What can I appreciate? What can I appreciate by about God? So I would say key things, moment by moment, learning how to celebrate the moment, learning how to just do ordinary things with a real attitude of gratitude. Making a coffee with thankfulness. Wow, filtered coffee. <laughs> Thank you, God. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, God. Mm. Practice this in New York. I'm walking on Brooklyn Bridge. I'm wa- I am walking on Brooklyn Bridge. Because <laughs> everything we do, we can race ahead. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Mm. Whether it's in good things or in anxiety. 